You're listening to a podcast mini-series on artificial intelligence from McKinsey, featuring conversations with a wide range of experts in the field. Data. It's the lifeblood of the AI techniques used most often today. Most organizations have plenty of data within their veritable walls to fuel AI applications that improve areas from operations to product offerings. But it's the sharing of data across organizations that could unlock huge benefits for society. There's the potential to find cures to disease, to respond more effectively to crises, to combat climate change. Today, however, very little of the data sharing needed for such endeavors is happening. And this is due to a variety of reasons, from technical challenges to very legitimate privacy concerns, and also because many organizations are simply hesitant to share their data because they see it as providing them with competitive advantage. So how can we break down some of these barriers to unlock the potential for data and AI to do societal good? I'm David DeLalo with McKinsey Publishing, and I explored this question in a fascinating conversation I had with the CEO of the Open Data Institute, Jenny Tennyson. The London-based institute works with businesses, governments, and other organizations to build an open and trustworthy data ecosystem. The first order of business I wanted to tackle with Jenny was to understand exactly what she and the institute mean when they say open data. Here's how she explained it. We think about data as being on a spectrum of access. So there's, uh, there's data that's closed within a particular organization. Only that organization and people within that organization can access it. Um, and at the other end of the spectrum, there's open data, which is data that anyone can access, use for whatever purpose, and share with others. Fully open data tends to be data that comes from, uh, comes from organizations that, that um, uh, care about getting maximum value for the economy and society as a whole from that data. And it tends to be data that is not personal data. A good example is um, LiDAR data, which is, uh, shows you hills and valleys and so on. It can be used to predict flooding. That data is made available as open data in the UK so that um, organisations can use it to create you know, accurate insurance premiums, for example. Um, so, but you can see that that's very non-personal data. So open data really spans a, a, a wide range of different types of data. Um, tends to be non-personal, but doesn't have to be non-personal. Um, and it's made available because we think that others can benefit from it and that we actually get value from others benefiting from it. Of course, it's that personal data that can be leveraged best for ways that would benefit society as a whole. For example, by allowing doctors to understand the nature of disease and possibly see a path to new treatments. Anonymization and aggregation techniques are one way such data can be shared and leveraged. I asked Jenny if there were other ways to go about safely using personal data, and she talked about an idea that's being explored more recently, and that's the concept of data trusts. One thing that we have been looking at in, uh, at the ODI is this concept of data trusts 
as third-party institutions that would um, wrap within them the kind of governance that you need to make sure that that data is being shared well and for good purposes, for the purpose that is going to benefit the people who've, um, who, are, who are affected by that data. Um, so the idea of a data, data trust is that it would be an institution set up with a particular purpose in mind. The people running that institution, the trustees, would have a, um, a, a, a responsibility and a legal responsibility to only share data in accordance with that purpose of the trust. Um, and then you would need to obviously have the kind of technology that makes that data easy to share. You would have to have very strong engagement with the people that were affected by the sharing of, the, of that data in order to make sure that there is trust in the way it's being shared for that purpose. Um, but setting up those kinds of organisations, those kinds of institutions is the direction I think we will travel in as we try to get more use out of data, both for kind of public good purposes, but also understanding how it can unlock innovation and economic growth. But while data trusts might solve issues around privacy and security, they don't address the concern from organisations that they'd be giving up some competitive advantage by sharing their valuable data. Jenny pointed out, however, that there are plenty of reasons to share data that would unlock more value than keeping it close to the vest. When we look at the, the reasons that um, private sector organizations start to, to share data, they, they fall into a number they fall into a number of categories. Some, sometimes um, you know private sector organizations do things for social good purposes. They, they do them um, and you can be cynical and just view that as, as them uh, you know trying to build up their reputation or, or, or those kinds of things. But you know some organizations actually have at the heart of them that they want to do good so there's that kind of category um, there's another category of sharing and opening data that is really about um, about driving open innovation so many organizations recognize particularly larger ones actually recognize that being a bit more porous in the way in which they interact with with other organizations out there in their environment can bring benefits back to them. We have a project uh, called Data Pitch at the moment which is funded by the European Commission um, where we're kind of matchmaking organizations that have lots of data with small startup AI businesses um, and the organizations that have a lot of data have a lot of challenges too that they think that the data that they have can, can, can help with but don't have the know-how themselves about how to do that. Um, they are sharing data with those smaller organizations in order to get that innovation back into their organization themselves. In other places, we have organizations that recognize that they are part of a much wider ecosystem of organizations that is under a significant challenge. We do quite a lot of work in the agriculture sector. Agriculture sector recognizes that with growing populations and with climate change, um, they are under a, an increased kind of threat and demand around being able to satisfy the need that we will have in the future. And the only way in which that can be addressed is by organizations like Syngenta and Monsanto actually working together and sharing um, more data as a way of doing that to ensure that we can feed the world in the future. So there are those kinds of larger challenges um, that, that get addressed through more sharing of data.
and many organizations that collect the largest volumes of personal data, think big tech here, still have elements of their data they could share. First is open data from that's generated from that personal data. So an example of that would be Uber um, that aggregates data about journeys made through cities by its drivers um, and then uses that data to help inform the way in which cities uh, um, might put in other traffic restrictions or can then predict what the, what the impact of a particular event might be on the way in which traffic moves around the city. Now, Uber's data isn't quite open data. They don't make it available for anyone to access, use and share. It's not available for commercial purposes. Um, but it's the kind of data, kind of aggregate data that is non-personal that could be open for anybody to use second way in which organizations like that are looking at, at sharing data more is um, providing restricted access to bulk data about the people that are using their services um, but for research purposes, for, for public good research purposes. So an example of that would be, say, Facebook making available data about the social graph on Facebook and the way that people use Facebook so that social researchers can understand more about the way in which Facebook is Facebook works itself, um, but also how we interact with each other as people, which is you know valuable research uh, for, for the future. Um, and then the third way in which those kinds of organisations are making data more available, more open, um, is by enabling us as individuals to get access to data that is about us. Um, and enabling us as individuals to choose to pass that data on to other organisations and other services. In the UK, then we have that as a right. We have the right of, of data portability um, through GDPR that means that we have the right to get hold of data that is collected about us, pass that on to third party organisations, um, uh, to other applications that can then use it to provide insight about us. A good example of that is the open banking work that has been happening in the UK over the past couple of years, um, which gives people the ability to access information about their, um, their bank transactions in their bank accounts. Um, and then to pass that on to third, third parties, which might be another bank if they wanted to move bank, um, but more often is actually insight types applications that are giving them um, a better understanding about the way in which their bank balance flows up and down and therefore helping them to manage debt, helping them to manage when they might need to have loans, for example, into a, into a small business. Um, so you can see like more openness and more sharing at those three sweet spots. Even for those organizations willing to share data, there's another obstacle, the physical or technical aspects of sharing. Jenny talked about some ways to tackle those. I think there's really interesting interplay, actually, between um, the technology that you use when sharing data and the governance that you need to have when, when sharing data. Um, the bit that I'm, I'm most interested in is the use of new privacy-enhancing technologies that mean that um, we can have more sharing without invading people's privacy. The kinds of things that I'm thinking about there are uh, things like um, a really good high quality synthetic data generation. 
um, which means that data can be shared in its uh, that's synthetic data, so stuff that's just made up, can be shared um, with organisations so they can try out their algorithms and their, their data processing before getting hold of the real thing. That I think helps to reduce some of the some of the costs and barriers that you would otherwise have when developing um, when developing algorithms um, or getting access to data. The other thing that I'm very interested and excited about is the is the new advances around um, kind of distributed machine learning. So where we have a situation where um, individual organizations can still keep hold of data than themselves it's still behind their own kind of firewalls um, but the machine learning can happen on that data and then the results of it come back into the central in, into the central place um, and, and are combined from multiple different organizations such that the the uh, the researcher or the person that is creating the, the AI never has access to, never gets behind those firewalls, never gets access to that personal data, but we're still able to learn from it. And those are the kinds of technologies that we need to explore more because the, the more we can get away with not sharing huge amounts of bulk data that's very, very personal, the better the, the situation will be. Interestingly, Jenny pointed out that one of the biggest barriers to data sharing, even within organizations, is data discovery. And while this is often viewed as a technological challenge, it's actually one that's best solved by humans. So how do you find out that some other person or in your, in your organization or some other organization, if you're looking more widely, um, actually has some data that you think is going to be um, worthwhile for, for the challenge that you are currently facing? And one of the things we find with, the, um, with discovery is, is of data is that the curatorial role of a librarian is closer to what we need than a technology solution. It's the, it's the individual who can um, uh, find out, can, can you know, actively do the research to find out what data is available and pull that into something that, that makes sense to, that tells the story of what data is available. That, that helps to articulate to people the, the, the subtleties about the quality of data, its provenance, what, it can, what kinds of conclusions it can support and what kinds it can't support. These are subtle um, kinds of, of notions that need to be articulated by people rather than necessarily technologies. While we were on the topic of data discovery, I asked Jenny if she had some tips for organizations around how to assess the quality of data that's available to be shared. After all, in research we conducted last year, more than a third of senior executives admitted that the data their organizations use to make the most critical decisions is of a somewhat low quality. Data quality is a really tricky kind of issue. I think one thing to, to be very mindful of is that um, uh, quality is associated with use. It's quality for use rather than quality per se, right? Um, so the same data might be incredibly, uh, it might be completely adequate quality for one set of conclusions and completely dreadful for another set of conclusions. Um, so that's when we come down to this, this need to really, really understand the, the problem that you want to apply that data to in order to understand whether the quality of the data that you're getting 
can match that can match that use. Um, now there are some bits about quality that are that are uh, you know very obvious, very standard. So things like um, completeness, missing values, um, standardisation or lack of standardisation are the kinds of things that can be assessed by tools that can that you can get kind of scores on. Um, and that, of course, you know, that can help inform a decision about whether that data is is fit for purpose or whether. Um, or rather, how much work you're going to have to do in order to get it to fit for purpose for the kind for the kinds of work that you want to do. But much more important when it comes to quality is where it comes from, how it was collected, what kinds of biases there may have been in that collection, um, what kind of error rates there there is. That's much more qualitative information. Um, that it can be extremely hard for a, a third party who is, who is assessing data to actually get hold of. Um, and this, I think, is where we come to the, the bit that is really, um, you know, one of our biggest challenges around the sharing of data is that getting the originator of data to describe um, all of that background information about how the data came into being um, that can enable really informed choices about the degree to which it can be trusted, the degree to which you can draw particular conclusions off the back of it. Getting them to articulate that is very, very hard. Um, we've been trained to think of, of the kind of metadata that we need to supply around data sets as being very factual kinds of things. You know, when was it created? Who is responsible for it? Um, we need to really be learning from statisticians and the way in which they provide the full methodology, you know, in real details from statisticians, from, from, from scientists about how they think of describing the, the um, real detail of where data has arisen from so that we can get into a stage where it's actually possible for, for third parties to assess whether data can be used for the particular purpose they want to use it for. And with that final insight from my interesting conversation with Jenny, we bring this episode to a close. We hope you enjoyed listening and that you'll check out the other podcasts we have available for you on this and other McKinsey podcast channels. Thanks so much for joining. <laughs>